accomplish great and mighty things. So if you're here and you're thinking, well, gosh, if I was more like this, then God could use me. There is really good news for you. God could use you as you are. If you will simply say, what little I got, Lord, I give it to your glory. Leverage it for your glory. Well, God can take your little, and he can make much. And that is really, really good news for people who have little. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm a person who doesn't have that much. <laughs> you know, like, like even, even before I come up here, I'm like, God, I got five loaves and two fish. You know, I'm nervous. I don't have a lot of great stories. This is all I got. Would you take my little and make it much? That is the blueprint for ministry. That is how God loves to operate because who gets the glory? Not you. God gets the glory. And we get the joy of giving God glory. So there is a lot at stake with this message. And really, it's people who might be discounting what they have and disqualifying themselves and sitting on the sidelines when really, if you have little... That's all that God needs to use you in a powerful way. Okay, now let's go to the scripture. Now, John 6. Now, I, I share this about John. There's a little bit of a contextual kind of mystery to this. Now, John is the gospel that's very different from the other three. The other three you call what? Synoptics, right? John is different. John came later. Now, this is the idea. John already knew about the existence of the other three. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wanted to contribute something new. So we have conversations in John and all these events in John and miracles in John that we don't have in the other three. Why? Because John was like, I want to, by God's Spirit, share something that hasn't been contributed before. And then here we got the feeding of the 5,000. Well, is the feeding of the 5,000 in the other three? Yes, it's in all the other three. So why, when John wants to, do, wants to contribute something new, would he contribute something that's already been talked about? I don't know. Maybe it's that important. John's like, well, I can't really. I got to go here. And so really, if we're going to go through the Gospel of John, we got to go here. Let's go here. So Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him. Let me hear you guys say large crowd. Okay. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? All right, Jesus sees a lot of people. And he also sees a problem and he also sees a mission, right? Now, what is the problem? The problem is that when people went to go see Jesus, they were thinking maybe like a morning talk. Okay, how many of you guys are here thinking, Andrew's probably going to preach for 30 minutes and then there's going to be refreshments? No, I'm going to go all day long today. Right? That's what Jesus did. He was like, okay, we're going to have maybe one talk, refreshments too. Jesus was like, no, no, no. I'm going to talk all day long. Then you're going to take a nap. And then I'm going to talk all day long again. Right? People are like, we did not account for this. I didn't bring provisions. I don't have a cooler in the back. I didn't know he was going to go so long and that he was going to be so dynamic and that his teaching was going to be so life-changing. I, I, I'm not going to leave. And he's not really stopping his, his message. So it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And then people are hungry and they're growling. And Jesus is talking about profound things. But it's hard to concentrate when you've got an empty stomach and it's growling. Now, how many of you guys have young kids? 
Okay, now you tell me what's happening right now. Day number two, day number three with young kids. Got no food, no cooler, no little handy snacks. What are the kids doing? Come on. Oh, Daddy, I'm a little hungry, but you don't... I will wait here patiently for you to give me some... No! Kids don't do that. What do kids do? You never feed me. Oh, my gosh, I'm starving. Right, kids? I have young kids. That's what they do. They're distracting. Okay, now here are adults, and their, their stomachs are growling, and then kids are whining and complaining, and then it's super distracting. Can I get an amen from the parents? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, now it's really distracting. Okay, so now we got the problem. Now we got this mission, which is let's feed the people. Jesus realized this is a very significant logistical obstacle. Spirit and body go together. People need food. So he turns to Philip. Now, um, Jesus says, where are we going to buy bread, Philip? We got to feed these people. Now, Philip is more the, the numbers guy. He's the accountant. And you can know by the quick math that he does. He's very practical, logistical-minded, right? Now, immediately when Jesus puts forth this mission, people are hungry, we've got to feed them food, Philip is already going towards, okay, we've got to buy bread. And Jesus knows that, so he goes where Philip will naturally go. He goes, where are we going to buy the bread? Now, here is Philip, and Jesus is helping him to kind of evaluate the situation and come away with the appropriate logical conclusion. Now, this is what Philip says. He looks, he says, look, Jesus, I've been doing the math. I've been running the numbers. 200 denarii. Okay, how much is one denarii worth? One denarii is worth a worker's wage for a day. Worked hard in the field. At the end of the day, I got one denarii. Okay, 200 denarii is six and a half months worth of a worker's wage. Do they have this kind of money? Maybe. I, I don't think so. That's one problem. We don't even have 200 denarii. Or maybe they do. I'm not sure. But I, I don't think they have it. But let's say they did have it. Here's another problem. There's no vendor. We're in the middle of where? And it's not like there's a Costco around the corner. It's not like there's a Denny's. It's not like there's a Taco Bell thing. You Lord, right? Yeah, there's no Taco Bell. But it'd be nice if they were in and out. But there's no Costco. So there's no vendors that are actually willing or able to provide 20, 200 denarii worth of bread. So here's the thing. We don't got the money. We don't got the bread. And even if we did have 200 denarii worth of bread, what's the problem? It wasn't enough to feed people. Look, if we took a whole bunch of bread, 200 denarii bread, divvied it up, divvied it up, gave equal portions out to the families, and they divided among their family members, okay? Here's a little, and if we have 200 now, we divide it up, it's even less than a little. It's like a crumb. That's a problem. Okay, who started this questioning? Jesus started this questioning. What is Jesus after? He wants Philip to come to the conclusion that they have no resources to pull this off. That's what Jesus wants Philip to say. He wants Philip to realize and then share it to the other disciples and for all the, all the other disciples to say, you're right, we cannot do this on our own. We have no resources. We cannot pull this off. 
You guys, that's the same conclusion that Jesus wants everyone in this room to come away with. Not, not just today, but every day. Not just every day, but every hour. Look, we are on this incredible mission of sharing the life-transforming, eternal life-giving good news of Jesus. It's an amazing mission. It's an amazing mission. But when you really think at what's at stake and you really think about your tools, you're left with this logical conclusion. I have this amazing good news, but I cannot make some other person find it valuable. It's so hard for this person to see what I see. I am not able to make my own children disciples of Jesus. I can model, I can teach, but I can't make them believe. I, I, I've shared this story with you guys before where um, I was at the uh, dinner table and I'm just one of my kids, and we were doing this icebreaker game. This icebreaker game, which is like, you know, uh, all these questions were going around the table, and during this icebreaker game, there was a question, which is, what's the most valuable thing your parents have taught you? One of my children, I won't say who, said, well, I think the most valuable thing that mom and dad have taught me is about God. Okay, now listen. You got to understand inside, inside, because I'm trying to play it cool. I'm not trying to, you know, influence my kids to say X, Y, or Z. I just want them to be who they are, right? So, I, but inside, I'm just like, yes, right? I'm like, woohoo, right? But I'm playing it cool. I'm like, okay, that's good. That's interesting. That's good. That's good. That, that's an acceptable response. But here's this. He says right afterwards, but you know, I don't really find God very interesting, so, okay, now listen, I was like, woohoo! And now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, like, kill myself. I'm, I'm feeling really bad, right? Really, but I, again, I'm playing my cool, not, not, not showing anything. It's like, you know, the poker face. Oh, really? Well, uh, what do you find interesting? My son says, well, maybe something like a hamster. <laughs> now, again, I'm playing it cool. A hamster, huh? Yeah! Yeah, hamsters are very interesting. They're little furry, little, yeah, yeah, hamsters, you know, long tail. Inside, I'm thinking, God, I have prayed, I have modeled, I have taught, and my kid thinks a hamster is more interesting than you. What's going on here? Okay, look, I, I, I pride myself. I think my devotions are with my kids are pretty good. And I cannot get them, even though they have 24-7 access to me, to fall in love with Jesus. I'm at this place where I realize I can't do it on my own resources. God, I need your strength. I'm desperate. God, I need you. I need you to do something. I need you to do what I can't do. I am desperate. Are you guys desperate? When you wake up tomorrow morning, is there, is there that desperation? I cannot do this day making disciples. I cannot live the kind of life that God has called me to live without his help. Is that what you say in the morning? Do you come to God in prayer with that kind of desperation? Because that really is your true state. And if before you're going to see, going to go into a meeting with like your boss or a lunch with your relative and you really want to be an ambassador of Christ, is there that desperation, God, please do something. Stir something in that person's heart and what, maybe what I say, maybe how I live my life, maybe something. Would you do something? Talking to your parents, Lord, would you do something? I remember one time during staff meeting, I had a mentor. We're just having a normal staff meeting, and he just flips open his hands like this. And I thought that was kind of weird. You know, just, I mean, just imagine like you're talking to someone, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so I question, what, what, what is that about? That's weird. What do you do then? He's like, it's in the middle of a meeting I realize, God, I need your help. This meeting may not be going the way that I want it to, and I desperately need you to do something. I am just going to convey my dependency upon God by flipping my hands over and saying, God, help. This punk kid is not getting my message. Help. How desperate are you? Do you realize that you do not have it to do what you've been called to do? Okay. Well, let's remember that. Desperation actually is a good thing. Desperation leads us to say, God, you have to do it. You have to come through. Verse 8, one of his disciples, uh, what's that name? The one that Jesus loved, Andrew. Um, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Here's a boy with five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Now, I, I want to point out that the movement in the text here is we're no longer focusing on the negative and what we don't have. And I actually feel like the conversation in your head should move from negative, God, I need your help, to positive. And the question now becomes, well, what do you have? Well, what do you have? Now, I don't know if, if, if you're like this, I'm like this. I focus a lot on what I don't have. I can't do this as well as this person can do. If I only had that, then I could. I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have this. Sometimes I wish I had all these things and I was someone else. That's a lot of the conversation that goes in my head. And just imagine God saying, okay, okay, you're, you're focused a lot on what you don't have, right? And that leads you to desperation towards me, good. But now, here's the next question. What do you have? What do you have? Well, Andrew's like, well, uh, this little kid has five loaves and two fish. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke. He doesn't snub. He doesn't sneer. He's like, that's it? Jesus seems to feel like, well, that's what I'm looking for. That's enough. I can work with that. What do you have? What do you got? I, I know you have all these things. I can't do this. I don't have time. I'm not gifted. I can't do that. Right, okay. But now the conversation turns. Jesus turns to you and says, well, okay, right. Well, what do you have? What do you have? Maybe you're like, you know, I don't have a lot of Bible knowledge. But what I can do, what I, what I like to do is invite people into my home. I imagine, going, I imagine Jesus going, great, let's work with that. I can do something with that. M maybe you're like, you know something, I'm not this huge extrovert. Well, what do you got? I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a techno geek. I like technology. Great. You could work on our sound ministry. Shameless plug. Yes. We need someone in sound ministry. We really do. And oh my goodness, if you are like, you know, techno geeky, man, we could really use your services. Thank you, Wayne, for being such a great techno geek. Maybe you're like, you know, I, I can't be up here and like give a sermon, you know, but I can pray for people. Awesome. Jesus can work with that. Jesus can take little and make it much. In fact, you are talking to the galaxy maker. Is there anything he can't do? I mean, he took nothing and made it into everything. 
Don't you think he can take your five loaves and two fish and make it something amazing? Don't you think he can do that? Is that too hard for him to do? I don't think so. In fact, what little you got, your weakness in the hands of Jesus can be a strength. Your little can be a lot. Your limitedness, oh, he can use that to express his unlimited grace because that's who he is. He loves working with small and weak people. Why? Well, in verse 14, what happens in verse 14? Look, verse 14 is after the miracle, okay? What do you see in verse 14? You go, when the people saw the sign, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, what did they not say? Wow, look at that little boy with the five loaves and two fish. No one's talking about the little boy. They're talking about Jesus. Your weakness, your limitedness in the hands of the master who is strong and unlimited is a powerful combination. Would you bring him your five loaves and two fish? What do you got? What do you have? And just imagine going, yeah, I can use that. I can turn that into something great. Um, Here's another example of uh, just people saying, what do I got? and using it for the glory of God. Uh, so when we went to um, City Team SF last Sunday, when we were doing the Serve Sunday, um, there was a team that was at City Team SF with um, Eric and Jonathan, and it was, it's really a ministry for, for um, loving on homeless people and ministering to people on the street. Um, and Joyce Lynn and John were there, and I asked them if they had a God-sighting story, and they did, and this is what they shared with me. Joyson wrote to me, my biggest and funniest memory was that I got to tag a car. How many of you guys know what tagging a car means? Oh, yeah, I didn't, I don't even know what this means still. Um, no, I, no, she says, with the owner's permission, of course. Um, we met this couple, Bear and Cat. Yeah, I'm sure they had like a son named Mongoose or something, you know. Bear and Cat who were probably living in their car, and we offered them food, and we just loved on them. We had a chat. We talked about city teams. And then at the end of the conversation, they said, hey, would you like to sign our car? Would you like to tag our car? And so they were living in this black sports car, and so they gave the silver pen to uh, Joycelyn, and she's like, well, yeah, sure. So she walks over to the pen, and she finds this clear patch, and then she writes, Jesus loves you, and so do we. And then she told me, she explained, she signed it JJ, and she didn't really say the names because she's like, what if this car is stolen? (laughs) You know, so, but anyway, so, so, so here's this car, right? And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. So here are John and Joycelyn, right? They're just walking around. uh, They're meeting people. What do they have? What do they have? They don't have much. They have their warmth. They have their love for the people. And they have a silver pen. (laughs) And here they are, we're like, well, okay. This is a little bit. Let's lever it for Jesus. And so they write, Jesus loves you. Now, I just want you to imagine there's this black sports car, right? It's got all this graffiti on it. It's got San Francisco musings. It's got obscenities or swear words all over it. And right at this tiny patch in bold letters is the unlimited message of grace. Jesus loves you, and so do we. We just got five loaves and two fish. I, got, I just got five loaves and two fish. Maybe you do too. What do you say we leverage it all 
for God's glory and see what he can do. This is the lesson of the loaves. Will you dedicate every day and say, God, all I got are five loaves and two fish. Would you use it for your glory? Give it to God, surrender to God, and say, Lord, I want to see what you can do. And just see what God does with your five loaves and two fish. I want to introduce Kristen. Kristen um, spent a year as an InterVarsity staff intern. And uh, many of you have heard her story of um, how she was just really investing a year in the kingdom of God, growing as a leader. And now that the year is over, she wanted just to share some of the things that she's learned. Now, it just so happens that we, um, w- that her story and John 6 are, are really kind of in parallel. So let's give uh, Kristen a, a warm welcome, and we'll let her share her story. Hi, everyone. Um, so yeah, like Pastor Andrew said, my name is Kristen. Um, I started coming to CLC about two years ago um, as when I was still a Cal student. And um, as a student, I was a part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And so as some of you knew from before today, um, I spent this past year serving as their ministry intern. Um, and so, yeah, actually, when, when Pastor Andrew and I were talking about what I would share today, it was just completely God's work that, like, his outline very fitting is very fitting for, like, what I have to share today. Um, yeah, so... Ivy's national vision statement is to see students and faculty transformed, campuses renewed, and world changers developed. Um, And those words really stuck with me as I transitioned from being a student to a staff member because I really did want to see students at Cal transformed by Jesus. Um, So meaning whether they knew him before or not at all, that they would encounter Jesus in a significant way. Um, that would change the way they live their lives every day. Um, I wanted to see the campus renewed to reflect the goodness that God intended, and I wanted to see students developed into world changers, um, whatever that meant for them um, in their own way. And so, of course, I knew, like, that none of these things would happen overnight or even in one year. Um, I'm a very idealistic person, but I still have some logic, so... I, I knew that, um, but instead, so instead of like seeing all these results that I wanted to see, I was shown just how tense and messy it can be coming to terms with our limits as humans while still trying to follow and believe in a limitless God um, who is the only one who can transform and renew things. Um, so yeah, this year, um, both students and staff really felt the reality of our limits. Um, I worked closely with two sophomore leaders in the dorms, and for about half of the school year, they actually had zero attendance to Bible study. Um, And so they were obviously like very discouraged by this, and um, I think they also just felt really limited in a number of ways. So the first way was like through time. Um, They felt really limited in the time that they had to like invest in freshmen while trying to balance being a student. Um, secondly, I think they felt limited in their relationships with other leaders. So, um, sophomore year is like a tricky year in college because you're not in the dorms anymore. It's not super easy to just like hang out with people and you have to be like much more intentional. And so they were just really feeling 
the weight of that. Um, and thirdly, I think they felt limited in their spiritual authority. Um, I think as young leaders, and especially week after week, not seeing as many people come out as they wanted, um, they were just feeling really Im limited in their knowledge and ability to even be small group leaders um, and doubting like the spiritual authority that was given to them. Um, and I admit as a result in trying to disciple them through this, the grace that I showed towards them was also really limited. Um, I would get really frustrated um, by them focusing on what we lacked as a fellowship, what they lacked spiritually, um, because I wanted them to like really know like in their hearts that God could use and was using them, um, even if things didn't immediately resemble their idea of God using them. Um, so one thing I, I saw was their hospitality. Um, I think that is definitely one way that God used them to love the freshmen and other leaders too. Um, they would open their apartments for dorm ministry events. They would make care packages um, and take the freshmen out for fun activities like karaoke and bouldering and things like that. And it's through these and other simple acts that God was building community the whole time. And although the group may not have multiplied to the large numbers that they wanted to see, the bonds between them were real and they were deep. Um, so yeah, the funny thing is, is while I was frustrating with, frustrated with them, I was actually not really believing the very thing that I wanted them to believe too. Um, like God was moving within these students, even though I wasn't seeing the transformation that I wanted to right away. Um, and so even now when I know that there will be many years ahead of them, like, you know, they're only rising juniors and um, the other student leaders as well. There will be many years ahead of them where they will be challenged to trust God above everything else and it won't always be smooth. Um, and I need to remember to put my faith in God's unlimited grace um, to do that transformation work um, and not my human abilities. Um, yeah, so in spite of my limitations as an intern staff this year, God was developing these students into more loving followers of him throughout the year. Um, and now fast forward to the end of the school year, four freshmen and three upperclassmen have committed to be leaders in CCF next year, um, to say yes to God's invitation for them to make disciples of fellow Cal students. Um, and honestly, at the most difficult parts of the year, I like couldn't even fathom students getting excited to serve the Lord. Um, and I think that's really the danger of our lim like focusing on our limits. Um, for me, at least, like when I do that, it closes my mind, and I end up putting God in this tiny little box. And I say, like, this is within the realm of possibility, and that's it. And everything else, like, we'll see. <laughs> Um, but that's just not the case. Um, like, I was faced with my limitations, the students were faced with theirs, and God used every single bit of it and made things just really good. Yeah, that's it. Okay, let's, uh, let's do a quick review. Jesus wants each of us 
to be able to come to our logical conclusion that we cannot make disciples. We cannot live the lives that he's called us to live without his help. We just can't do it. We need him day by day, hour by hour. But then as the conversation goes, it's like, okay, enough of the negative talk. Let's talk about what you can do. What can you do? And if it's just little, Jesus can take that little and in the hands of the master make it much. Jesus can take your limitedness and use it to express his unlimited grace. Okay, that's where we've been. I really just have one more point, and here's the point. I'll just give it to you. Now, once you surrender to Jesus your five loaves and two fish, I want to hear you guys say surrender. Once you surrender to him your five loaves and two fish, here, here it is. Surrender to him the result as well. Surrender to him the result as well. Once you say, God, this is all I got, I give it all to you, surrender to him the result and the impact. Okay, now I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, I'm just speaking this lesson personally. This is my downfall. This is my, my issue. My issue is that I'm like, okay, Lord, I only got five loaves and two fish. I'm going to give it to you, but Jesus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to wave your hand on it. I want you to pray, and then I want you to pass it out, and I want it to be multiplied. And then when people see the multiplication, I want people to start laughing, you know, like clapping and going, woo-hoo-hoo, right? And then I wouldn't mind if some of the glory came to me, and then we're passing out the, the, the loaves and stuff, and I want it to be like this amazing story. Okay, Jesus, here's my five loaves. Make it happen. I, I get caught up in that. It's my own expectation of what it must look like. And when Jesus takes those five loaves and his two fish, and he has a different idea of what multiplication looks like, maybe it's not quantity, maybe it's quality, maybe it's something else. But when I put these expectations on him, it must be like this. And he does something even better, but I just can't see it. Not only am I limiting him, but I'm filled with disappointment and resentment. That is not a good way to go. When you give your life, your gifts, your limitations to Jesus, surrender to him the result as well. That little boy didn't go, okay, Jesus, I want you to make a big show. The little boy trusted it to Jesus and then said, Jesus, whatever you're going to do, you do. And then has eyes to see how God's going to move. Okay? Once you surrender to Jesus, your five loaves and two fish, surrender to him the result as well. I'd like to close with a story. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of the, 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 the monk by the name of Telemachus? Has anyone heard that story before? Oh, good. Um, I heard this story when I was a teenager, and I've always remembered it. It was just a very compelling story for me. And so um, I want to tell you the story of uh, Telemachus. Uh, Telemachus lived in a time of the Roman Empire, and he was a monk, and he was living as a monk, and one day he was praying, and he heard God speaking to him, and God was telling him to leave his community and to go to Rome. Now, Rome at this time was at the, the it was the metropolis of the Roman Empire, the most powerful um, empire in the world at that time. And so Telemachus heard God say, leave it. Follow me, go to Rome. And so he obeyed. You know, he's 
And so when he found himself in Rome, he found that there was this great party going on. There was this great celebration. The, the Romans at that time had just conquered the Goths. And so people were, were dancing. There was this music and party. And the, the, the swarm of people were sweeping all the way into the Colosseum. And so Telemachus, carried by the Spirit and by the crowd, just went into the Colosseum. And he went with the crowns, and what he saw, he was not prepared for at all. In the Colosseum, in celebration of conquering the Goths, there was gladiator games. And so there was these big, burly men with half armor and swords and clubs and axes. And they were just chopping off limbs and chopping off heads. It was a bloodbath. Telemachus had never seen any of that before. And so he's sitting in the seats, and he's seeing that, and then he's looking around, and now he can't believe what he's seeing. All the people around him were bloodthirsty. They were cheering. They were loving it. And he was like, what is going on? So he didn't know what to do. So he can only do what was in his heart. So he, he runs down um, the, the stands, jumps over the wall, gets into the arena, and he starts weaving between these big burly men who are swinging clubs and axes. And he's going, stop! Stop! In Jesus' name, I say, stop! And he's just weaving around, going like that. Now, you can imagine, the people there have come to see these big, burly men fighting. And here's this little character just running around in his high pit. Stop! In Jesus' name, stop! Right? Now, what would you do? You would laugh. And so they laughed. They thought it was really funny. They thought it was really comical. They're laughing. Until they heard what he was saying which was stop in Jesus' name, I say stop. And then suddenly they realized this guy is trying to get between our entertainment. And they were angry. They started booing. They started hissing. They started picking stuff off the floor and throwing it at Telemachus. A gladiator or two thought that was interesting, and he swung a club or a sword. And at the end of it, there was Telemachus slain on the ground in a pool of blood. And an incredible thing happened. In all the Colosseum, there was a hush. And I'm sure one person just got up in disgust and left. And then another, and then another, and then another. That very day, the emperor, Honorius, issued an edict that forever stopped the gladiator games because of one little monk who really has nothing to offer Hearing God's call and saying, I got five loaves and two fish, use it as you will. What did, what did he have? Stop, stop, in the name of Jesus. What did he have? Give your little to Jesus. Give everything you got. Maybe it is little. And say, Lord, I'm giving you my five loaves and two fish. I surrender my life to you, and I surrender the result. And see what the galaxy maker can do with your life. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you that you are a God who loves to work with small people. Maybe a big reason why is because of the humility of Jesus. He would associate with the lowly all the time. But I also feel like a big reason why is so that you get the glory and we get the joy of being used by you for great purposes but you get the glory. I pray for our church that maybe we feel like we just have a little, 
no time, no margin. Maybe I bet you there's a, peop- a lot of people in families and they're like, I have zero time, I have zero uh, margin. And I just imagine Jesus saying, will you give everything you've got to me and to my purposes? See what I can do with your little. Lord Jesus, we surrender everything we have to you. And I pray, I wonder if there's a five loaves and two fish and you want to put a finger on the thing in our lives that you want us to surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that if that thing is like time here or a gift, maybe it's even a hidden gift, something we didn't realize could actually be used for your glory. Would you put a finger on that and reveal it to us? Help us to think something we hadn't thought of before. Help us to see a way that we can be used for your glory. You can do much with little when you turn a little into your much. And so we just want to surrender our lives to you, Lord, and pray that our lives would be used for your glory and for your purposes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.